You're listening to the Presence Pioneers Podcast. everyone, welcome to today's episode on the Presence Pioneers podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Lilly, and I'm here today with a friend and special guest, Andrew Filetti, who is the prayer room director at Gate City Church in Atlanta. They've been hosting 24-hour prayer with live worship for well over 15 years now. And today we're going to talk about Israel. And this is a topic that we haven't talked a lot about on this podcast, but is coming to the forefront of the conversation in 2023 in a number of different ways through massive movements of united prayer and fasting around this topic. And of course, because of the conflict and the war that's been happening on that land in Israel with Hamas over the last few months here as we're recording this. And so we want to talk about what the Bible has to say about this, what's God's heart for Israel. And we're only going to be able to scratch the surface today, but I know Andrew's heart is burning for this topic. And we've had some conversations in other forums where it's come up and I'm like, we need to do a podcast episode about this. So Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Yeah. Thanks, Matthew. Honored and excited to be here. And yeah, just uh, briefly a little bit about myself. You kind of introed me a little bit in my role at Gate City, yeah. and I've been on staff for about 16 years doing this. And throughout that time, I've known we should pray for Israel, you know, yeah. and got a couple of the Bible verses, you know, and just go, yeah, I see it in scripture and pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And Paul says, you know, pray for them to be saved. And there's a plan in the heart of God. And I've kind of studied it throughout the years and in different moments, it, it becomes clear, but but I think really up until this year, it was almost like I would kind of get a grasp of it and then it would just become really fuzzy and like, how does it all work? And I would say this year has been the year that it's become uh, just the clearest to me for, and for a number of reasons that I want to just share yeah. and to hopefully help bring clarity. And I'm not saying I have everything figured out by all means, but I'm excited to share a couple of those thoughts. And, and I think really the place to start is kind of understanding the progression of church history a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, we're not going to go into great depths in that, but just related to the issue of Israel and how it's kind of played out and how in our modern day, a number of those interpretations have really influenced really kind of every denomination in Christianity today that affects their stance on Israel. And, and clearing some of those things up through uh, biblical theology has been very helpful. And I mean biblical theology and sort of the definition according to like the academy, so to speak. You have biblical theology and systematic theology, which are both good and have purpose. And biblical theology is really understanding the narrative from Genesis to Revelation. Systematic theology is going in and kind of grabbing different doctrines and kind of drilling down on them. And I think something that's been incredibly helpful for me is understanding biblical theology sort of as the foundation, like getting that narrative of what is the revelation of scripture from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. How is it connected? What What is God saying in Deuteronomy and what's Jesus saying in the New Testament? And how does that connect? And I think a lot of us have sort of taken this position that it's almost like two different stories and there's there's like a Old Testament God and a New Testament God and there's 
a shift that happened when, when you really, like for me, uh, just studying a lot in Deuteronomy, uh, studying a little bit more in Deuteronomy <laughs> has really helped me see that, man, the heart of God is right there. He, Jesus and Paul quote a ton of places in the New Testament from Deuteronomy where it's, it's the same thing. God's always wanted a people whose heart is with him. And so kind of getting that, those things have, has been very helpful so I think something that that's just the, just kind of tracing from uh, Old Testament into New Testament, yeah. some really simple thoughts. Yeah, Mount Sinai, the Torah, and the covenant is where it all started, right? I mean, you kind of have it all started at creation, but then God began to reveal like his redemptive plan through the covenant with Abraham. And that's sort of where Israel begins, the promise with Abraham yeah. that through your descendants, I'm going to bless all the nations. I'm going to give you land. And then ultimately it comes down, you know, through the line of David, that there's a man who's going to come, the Messiah. He's going to sit on a throne in Jerusalem. And then you kind of have the meditation of that covenant play out in the wisdom literature of like Job, Psalms, Proverbs. And then you get into the prophetic writings and the prophetic literature And that's really where a lot of these things of the covenant, and that's what's so key is it's anchored to the covenant. Yes. yes. That's where so many of those things kind of get brought to climax and clarity. And it's it's that backdrop that John the Baptist, Jesus, and the New Testament authors, that's the canvas that they're writing on. They're not starting with a new thing. Yeah. If I could chime in for a second, I love this. I've been looking some at the Davidic covenant God made with David because- that's what I study a lot is David. But I think what you just said is so important. I just kind of wanted to just pick at it for a minute because the covenant God made with Abraham, he made a covenant with Moses on Sinai, and he made a covenant with David. And there's some others in there you could probably add in too, but those are sort of some big ones. And a lot of times when people look at the big picture of scripture and they say, okay, well, there was Old Testament, Old Covenant, and then there's New Testament, New Covenant. They don't understand that when the Old Covenant is referenced, is specifically the Mosaic Covenant, but all the way back to the covenant God made with Abraham, even before Moses, uh, was a promise that was unconditional, that God promised through Abraham's family, that, like you said, that he was going to bless all the nations and that that give them that land. And so you have to go all the way back to Abraham and realize that you know that is not yet fulfilled. Uh, that covenant that God made with Abraham. And then David, like you said, connects to that and says the way he's going to do that is to a specific person who is going to be that Davidic king, that Messiah, who's going to do that. So so that's really, the idea of covenants is really important, I think, because we have to understand that there's different covenants and you can't just kind of write off all the Old Testament as old covenant, that's all past, we're all done with all that. You have to understand uh, there's more nuance to it, and it's it's actually really beautiful when you begin to yeah. to understand what God's doing. And you know, even in recent days, the language of New Testament and Old Testament I've found to be challenging because it's really the way Scripture refers to Old Testament is the Law and the Prophets, mm. you know, and that it's not like what you're saying. It's not that from Genesis to Malachi is all old. What was fulfilled and is sort of done away with is a lot of what was in the Mosaic Covenant, but yeah, the Abrahamic Covenant right. carries on. And that's, Paul, you know, Paul makes that argument in a lot of ways, in a lot of places. And so there's, 
clearing that stuff up that the covenant that God made with Abraham. And this is something that in this year, you know, as I've been studying it, I really feel like came clear that, and again, it's what Paul basically says that the gospel was declared through Abraham. The good news of how God is going to redeem the earth. He says it to Abraham. It's through your people and it, it through my promise to you, bringing your people into the land. I'm going to actually release redemption and blessing to the rest of the nations. And we get more of the plans unfolding as you get, uh, you know, further through the prophets. And then, of course, once you get into the New Testament and Jesus shows up on the scene, he is the one who secures these things. He begins to fulfill them. And it's him at his second coming, ultimately, when all of the promises are fulfilled. And, you know, so the New Testament starts in Matthew with, Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of David. And that it's those two covenants that I think are really important for us to hold on to as we understand what's being, you know, broken down in the New Testament. And so so it's this presumed Jewish narrative that the apostles and Jesus are standing on. They're not coming up with something new. They're not revising things that God had said in the, in the law and the prophets. Right. They're being fulfilled. They're being secured. And that's huge. So I think that's the world that the New Testament is actually functioning in, is this Jewish narrative, you know. So I kind of want to break a couple of the main theological traditions down. There's three primary ones. Uh, Do you have any other thoughts on that, Matthew, before I move on to that? This is great. Yeah. So I I assume you're going to get into like, what is replacement theology and some of those ideas? A a little bit, a little bit. That was, that was going to be my only, only thing, because that's a phrase that a lot of people kind of throw around. So, but yeah, I'd love to make sure we get, are able to get into that at some point. So, you know, there's really, you have the early church who is especially with the apostles, almost entirely Jewish. And then you begin to see it spread to the Gentiles. And by the time, you know, Paul's writing, you know, Romans is writing right into that Jewish and Gentile scenario, trying to figure out how does it work? But 2000 years removed from that, we sort of approach it. And the question we kind of approach the book of Romans with is, how did the Jews fit in with the Gentiles Mm -hmm. when from their perspective, it was more, how did the Gentiles fit in with this Jewish narrative that has existed for thousands of years? Right, right. And so a lot of our perspective as Gentiles removed 2000 years from the Jewish tradition with Israel not being a nation for almost most of that time has produced some of these positions that, that are trying to grapple with, what do we do with these promises about Israel when Israel doesn't exist, you know? And so post-1948, it's like, oh my goodness, maybe actually a bunch of these covenants and these promises are actually literal. So there's really really three positions, I think, that are helpful to kind of break down. And it's sort of like the Lutheran evangelical tradition that started around the 16th century with Luther, the Reformation, that really kind of, there's a ton that you can understand there and study there. And I just want to really summarize it in a really basic way that there's a Greek tradition that it kind of latches onto, which was the sort of ethereal, heavenly destiny. And it's the cross. It's the grace and the cross, the grace of God and the cross that gets you 
to that heavenly destiny. So it's a massive thing that Luther did in bringing grace, you know, salvation by, by grace through faith and sort of removing the barriers that the papacy had put in place where, you know, now the people have access to the word of God and all that kind of stuff. So huge. But there was this area that I would say was a little bit of an error in, and and not, not heresy, but just a step away from what I think the Jewish narrative is, um, which is a redeemed heaven and earth. It was this Greek narrative of the cross is going to help us escape this physical reality to a, to a heavenly reality. And then you have the reformed tradition that comes after that, um, which is, you know, very similar. It happened around the same time. Uh, Calvin, you know, John Calvin came, he was sort of Luther's pupil, but there, uh, there was a little bit of division from the Lutherans to John Calvin. And he kind of emphasized what came out, what comes out of the reformed tradition is this emphasis on sort of a utopian Christian society post-millennial, we're sort of going to like establish the fullness of, of the kingdom of God on the earth prior to Jesus coming back. And it gives this very like Constantinian Christian empire on the earth now, you know, that can happen. And then you have uh, dispensationalism that came in like the 19th century, much later, that tried to kind of reintroduce the Jewish narrative. But what it did is it created two plans of salvation where there's a plan of salvation for the Jews and a plan of salvation for the Gentiles. It's trying to take the church history that had replaced Israel with the church and and is trying to reinsert it. Um, So a lot of times when you say you're pro-Israel, people will, and I've had these conversations that were a little shocking to me when I began talking with people who were post-millennial or you know, others, Reformed, Presbyterians, which are great friends, people I love who love God and do amazing things for God. But they would, they would be like, are you a dispensationalist? And I'm like, well, no, actually. And the key distinction, I think the thing that's, that's going to help us moving forward and understanding this in the moment that we're in with Israel is the historical study of the original Jewish narrative Mm. and really like understanding a lot of what was actually believed and in place when the early church started, you know, and that kind of removes these lines of like Israel versus the church. And it makes it more about the language of scripture is Israel as opposed to the nations, the assembly of the righteous and of the wicked. And those are the things that are more contrasted in scripture, not the church in Israel. And what's happened is instead of the language that Paul used, that the church has actually been grafted into the Jewish covenantal narrative and story, the redemptive program of God that he has been speaking of through Israel, instead of that language that we've been grafted in, we've created this separate thing that either with the dispensationalists, you know, kind of runs in juxtaposition to the Jewish narrative or with some of the reformed or others, it actually has replaced Israel, which that produces some pretty detrimental Views. That's where you get the phrase like replacement theology or something like that, right? Correct, correct, yeah. Supersessionism. Supersessionism, yeah. This is good. You're, you're throwing out so much here. It's so good. I want to make sure everybody's tracking with you with some of the theology and even even some of the terminology. So so you're saying some of the Reformed early, um, you know, Luther and Calvin, some of these guys were talking about how how the church would replace Israel. So in other words, when you read an Old Testament passage that says Israel or Jerusalem, they would sort of spiritualize some of these things and apply them to 
the church and uh, to Christians and maybe just the heavenly Jerusalem, but not the actual place on the earth. And so it was all kind of heaven spiritualized and that kind of thing. And, and so then you start reading yourself into some of the, especially the Old Testament passages where you read positive ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The good ones, exactly. <laughs> only the <laughs> only the happy ones. Just grab those phrases. Yeah. And and totally, you know, like I said, just sp- sort of spiritualizing it for lack of a better term in, into some yeah. of these passages. And then the attempt by some to kind of unspiritualize it, kind of develop this kind of weird dispensational idea where you have God's got kind of got two different things going on at the same time. And there's not that united narrative in that uh, cohesive plan that you do see in the scriptures uh, in what you call biblical theology, what Paul kind of lays out in Romans 9 through 11, where he's where yeah. he's teaching through how all these things move together with his plan for the Jewish people and the Gentiles becoming one new man in Christ Jesus and that kind of thing. So anyway, I'm just kind of yeah. awkwardly trying to summarize what you're saying here because I don't want people to miss what you're saying. It's super good and it's and it's super helpful. Yeah, and it really helps frame how we're thinking about this and not falling on one side of the road or the other into into the ditch on either side. So. So right. good, man. To kind of emphasize the idea, what I'm trying to do in breaking those things down is to kind of, we, we need to relook at the framework, right. not just a couple of verses. It's the framework that we're like. Hey guys, this is Matthew. We'll get back to the episode in just a moment. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider joining Presence Pioneers Premium, our brand new subscriber community. Paid subscribers will get exclusive premium content such as bonus podcast episodes, exclusive articles, early releases, and more. Presence Pioneers will be releasing its first e-course in 2024 with many more to come. And the Presence Pioneers premium subscribers will always have full access to the entire library of online courses. Visit media dot presencepioneers.org or click the link in the description to join today. You can become a premium member today for an introductory price of only $5 a month. When the price goes up in the future, as our library of resources grows, you can stay subscribed at the original price. If you've enjoyed our podcast for a while, becoming a premium member is a simple way for you to help us cover the cost of producing this podcast and partner with Presence Pioneers in equipping the church with resources for day and night prayer, prophetic worship, missions, and revival. Visit media.presencepioneers.org to sign up today. Reading the Bible into, and, and so there's really wonderful things we've come to understand about the cross and salvation and and the coming of Christ and things that a bunch of us agree on, but there is this place around Israel and God's redemptive program with Israel and how the Gentiles are grafted into that, that that we've just gotten a little wonky on. And you're right. It's like, man, Romans nine through 11. And I think this is actually the, the best example of the war that can happen between biblical theology and systematic theology mm. is so many of the certain doctrines of, you know, predestination and, you know, just Calvinism, a lot of it, Romans 9 is like there, this is where we get you. 
But it's like, man, I don't think Paul's trying to make those points mm. in those passages. I think Paul's trying to explain how the the Jewish program of salvation is still at work and that the Gentiles have been grafted in. I mean, I mean, look, look at some of these verses. I just kind of grabbed from Romans 9, 10, and 11, just a couple of verses. R- Romans 9, verse 6 is a place where a lot of people will build, you know, it, people use it to contribute to the idea of replacement theology. And it says, you know, Paul says, not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. That's man, that verse is so, so huge <laughs> that how you, how you understand that verse is like, that shapes the whole, that whole section. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. And the reality is we got to go, how does, what does Paul mean by this? And what Paul means by this is the same thing that the prophets meant by it. And he even goes into examples in chapter 11 with Elijah. And it's this idea of remnant theology that though there is a large contingency of Israel that has broken covenant with God, God will always keep a remnant of Israel to be his his own people. And so Paul's going, yeah, not all of Israel is actually uh, upholding the covenant with God and therefore they're rejecting God and God will reject them, but he's not rejecting Israel entirely and he he literally says it emphatically in two different places, you know. First in Romans 10:1, we get the heart of Paul and this we have to let this instruct us especially in this moment right now. Paul prayed, my desire, my heart's desire and prayer is that Israel would be saved. Yes. So it's a unique prayer for one nation. And we we as the church need to follow Paul's lead in that. Even if it's not clear to us yet, we go, Paul prayed for Israel, we should pray for Israel. Yeah. And then Romans 11 is where it really gets, to me, it's like this so, so strong and so clear. And And what you really see in Romans 11 is that Paul is clearly talking about Israel ethnically. Right. And covenantally and the Gentiles ethnically and that there is a time we're in right now that is going to come to an end and Israel will be restored in the end of that. And it's not Israel spiritually and that the church has somehow replaced, you know, it's just not there. He's he's using both terms and he's using them ethnically. But look, look at this, Romans 11, one through five, he asks, I ask then, did God reject his people? And that phrase, his people, is in the context of Israel. He says, by no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people, whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? So he brings Elijah and creates this idea of the remnant. Elijah is going, they've killed the prophets. I mean, it's actually really instructive to us right now because a lot of the accusation of the church is the Jews killed the Messiah. And so Elijah is a little bit under that. He's going, God, they've killed the prophets. They're coming after me. You should be done with them or, you know, it's hopeless. And God, God goes, Elijah, buddy, I've made a covenant with Abraham. I've preserved 7,000. And then Paul says in verse five, so too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. That remnant, again, is in the context of Israel as an ethnic people. Yeah. God is going to keep a remnant. And so just for the sake of clarity, I feel like this is a good moment. To be clear, sometimes when you start talking about God's unique purposes for Israel, people think that you mean, probably because of dispensationalism, they think that means that the Jewish people don't have to accept Jesus in order to be yeah. in, in the kingdom of God or to go to heaven or to whatever. 
And we're just to be clear, you're not saying that. I'm not saying that. No. And that's that's sort of where the remnant no. thing comes in here is that faith in the Messiah, faith in Jesus is the only way uh, to be restored to the Father. Correct. Yeah. The promise really from Genesis 3 is God's going, the way I'm going to deal with the enemy and crush the head of the serpent is through the seed. And that seed plays out through the covenants, through the prophets, and ultimately we know Jesus is that seed. The Jewish Messiah is the Jewish Messiah. Like the way to salvation for the Jew is through their Messiah. And we have been grafted into that. And that's actually what Paul, he goes, hey, the playing field for salvation is the same. Salvation is based upon faith in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile. But he's going, there's assignments and there's callings and there's destinies to nations. And there's one specific nation, Israel, that God has chosen that he's going to use in a unique way to redeem the earth. And that really is understanding the destiny, like what is coming when Jesus returns. He's going to sit on a throne in Jerusalem, and it's from Jerusalem that he's going to rule and reign over all the nations. That's his land. There's so many places in the Old Testament, God goes, my land, my people. And Jesus is the son of David. He's going to sit on the throne of David, in the tabernacle of David, in the city of David, which is Zion. That is all Jewish, Jerusalem, Israel. And so the current state we're in, Paul makes clear that it's it's the the Gentiles have been Israel rejecting their Messiah has opened the door for the Gentiles to be able to come in to provoke Israel to come back. Yes. And he goes, they've been hardened in part until so he's saying the state right now of Israel's hardness, which is important, them being in the land right now is not the fulfillment of them getting the land permanently. They have to receive the Messiah. Yes. And what's actually sobering is that them being gathered to the land right now, it's unto the great tribulation. The great tribulation is the time of Jacob's trouble. It is the controversy with Zion that God has. They've broken covenant with God, and he's going to gather them into Israel, and he's going to allow an Antichrist to raise up and go to war with Israel, which is going to affect the nations. It's a, it is a global thing, but it's it is... It's surrounding the issue of Israel, which is why Jesus in Matthew 24 makes it central around Israel, the temple, the flee Judea. You know, I'm getting a little on a tangent here, but. No, but that's good. That's helpful. Matthew 24 talks about both. Yeah, it talks about it's a global thing, but it's also a a Jerusalem and Israel thing. No, this is so good, man. I I think maybe because we're hitting close on time here, I I feel like some of these, these things you're touching on here really help us understand how we need to pray. And that maybe if if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to end on that. Like in light of some of this, obviously you're just scratching the surface. We need to go study it more. We need to keep growing and learning and praying into this and dive into some of these scriptures more. But a lot of people that are listening to this podcast, they're intercessors, worship leaders, house of prayer people, presence of God people. So how do we engage? What does this mean for us right now? We've got this war happening. I know there was a ceasefire. I think that that might have just stopped again, but there's this conflict right now. It's very pressing to us. How do we pray? How do we engage in this topic in, in a practical way, you know, tomorrow, today? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, scripturally Isaiah 62, 
for Zion's sake, he will not rest. He will not be silent. And then it says, you know, in verse six and seven, he raises up watchmen. He says, you also don't be silent until Jerusalem is made appraised in the nations. And earlier this year, I was looking at those passages, which I've looked at for almost two decades. And the Lord tied it together for me with the Lord's prayer. When Jesus says, pray this way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth, when the kingdom comes to the earth is when Jerusalem is made appraised among the nations. God is not silent about Jerusalem and about Israel because he wants his son to take up his throne on the earth and he wants to restore the earth. He wants to be faithful to his covenant to Abraham. And so as we see the war breaking out right now, we need to understand this is what Jesus said would happen. This is what the prophet spoke of. Zechariah 12 through 14 is huge. Ezekiel 25, Joel 3, these are even places that name Lebanon and Philistia, which is modern day Gaza, as places that will be at enmity. In in Ezekiel 25, it says, it's an ancient hostility that God brings up. He goes, this ancient hostility is coming from Philistia. Why are you attacking me? In Joel, I've just been camping out in Joel a little bit. In Joel 2 and 3, it's profound because he again names Gaza, Philistia, and Lebanon, Tyre and Sidon. And he says, the outpouring of the Spirit before the great and terrible day of the Lord, he speaks about that. And then he talks about Philistia and Lebanon and going to war with Israel. And he says, when I actually put an end to that is when I'm going to restore all things. I'm going to restore Israel. And so our prayers for Israel, it is, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then I think related to salvation, I think we have to really continue to go, Lord, give us your heart for the Jewish people, for the Orthodox Jews who would spit on us if we were preaching the gospel in their streets, you know, for the secular Jews who've completely lost faith in God, for the, the Palestinians who are suffering under the oppression of Hamas and who are being bombed by Israel right now and losing family members. It's so grieving, so grieving. The children on, on both sides, war is awful. And so, and then for the terrorists, Jesus says, pray for your enemies. Mm-hmm. And this attack in October is one of the most brutal things I think we've seen. The, the ability to, the, the social media that can just post stuff and just so many saw such atrocities. It is hard to forgive and pray and bless those people. And I've just been going, God, if someone came into my home and harmed my family in front of me. Mm-hmm and I lived through it, I don't have the strength in my own flesh to love and forgive and pray and bless like you did on the cross. Please help me. Mm. In Matthew 24, Jesus says, because of the increase of wickedness, love will grow cold. And so as we see this wickedness playing out, you know, we need to just personally go, God, fill us with the courage and the love that is going to carry us through the darkest hour. Um, but, you know, again, for Israel, it's we're praying for their eyes to be open, for salvation to come. And ultimately, God invites us to pray for the ultimate thing of your kingdom come, your will be done. And so yeah. we, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem because we want the answer to that is Jesus actually coming and landing on the planet and establishing the kingdom in Jerusalem. Come on. That's a great, great way to end right there, Andrew. Uh, this has been so good, man. I feel like we just got a fire hose, and that's usually how I feel when you start talking about 
this, which is why I wanted to have you on and talk about it. Maybe we can do a part two at some point. I did want to give you just a second here at the end. Um, anything you want to say about Gate City, uh, what you guys are doing, if, if people want to to learn more about your ministry there? Yeah, so Gate City, we started as a prayer room, just strictly building a prayer room. And in about 2017, the Lord led us to merge with a local church. And so since then, we have been a local church with a prayer room at the center of what we do. We've done 24-7, coming up on 18 years in February. Yeah. And we feel uniquely tasked with the honor and the burden of figuring out how to continue to integrate the prayer movement with the local church, how to get local churches, you know, doing prayer meetings, how to get prayer rooms, you know, connected with sort of, you know, the more of the shepherding and pastoral things that exist within, within the local church. And so that's our passion. That's the moment I feel like we're in right now. Yeah, yeah I love what I do. It's hard work, but it's uh, it's glorious what God's doing in the earth right now. So, yeah, awesome, man. Well, well, thank you, Andrew. This has been great. We'll be sure to uh, link to Gate City uh, down in the description so people can go and, and find out more. Uh, or even if they're in the Atlanta region, if they want to go visit and hang out and spend some time in the prayer room, they can do that as well. This has been great. Thanks, Andrew. Awesome. Thank you, Matthew. Bless you, bro. Bless you.